GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. As you know, we uh, tend to go into one topic in more depth on a Wednesday afternoon, and today it's antimicrobial resistance, antibiotic resistance. What's that, and why should you care? Well, I mean... If you think, if you know somebody who had a C-section last year or at any point in their lives delivered a baby via C-section, you should care. If um, it's antibiotics that kept the mother safe in that surgery. In fact, um, they are vital in keeping all surgery, all operations free of infection. So if you've had a knee replacement or a hip surgery, if they've cut you open to fix a broken bone, you've had antibiotics uh, help your body to avoid germs deep inside. And um, without antibiotics that work, all of those operations would become much more risky elective surgeries might just be stopped they might just be proved uh, it might just prove to be too risky it's almost unthinkable because we think that we're always moving forward that progress is in one direction but um but you know it's not that simple uh, the pandemic turned the world upside down and there are uh, other infectious diseases and this is considered to be an infectious disease time bomb that's ticking away. Resistance to antibiotics and other antimicrobials. I admit when I first heard the term, I thought that it was um, a reference to people who were becoming um, resistant to them. They were using antibiotics unnecessarily and those individuals were becoming resistant to antibiotics. But that's not the case. Um, it's it's bigger than that. This is about uh, antimicrobial resistance. It means that germs themselves, bacteria, fungi, viruses, all of those things are developing the ability to defeat uh, drugs that have been designed to kill them. Uh, and this is something that's been happening for many years. Penicillin was introduced in the 1940s. It's widely considered to be one of the greatest advances in modern therapeutic medicine. But antibiotics that have been saving lives for decades are increasingly less effective. They've been overused. Uh, They've been used so widely that bacteria are changing to become more resistant to the drugs. And at the risk of repeating myself, without them, The success of modern medicine is in treating infections would be at risk. And that includes surgery uh, and also uh, the help that is currently provided to cancer chemotherapy. How can we not care about this topic? And it's my pleasure, therefore, uh, to welcome to the Radio Gibraltar studio somebody who's spent years studying this topic and is something of an expert in the field. Um, Dr. Leon Leons, also known as Gerald, I've been told. Yes. that's your middle name, maybe. <laughs> that's totally correct, yes. Um, <laughs> Welcome. I, I was called earlier and I was asked, are you having Gerald in the studio today? And I said, I'm, I'm not sure I am. <laughs> I, I saw that you're, you're Dr. Leon G. Uh, Leons, um, and you're a senior research associate at the University of Gibraltar, uh, and, and this is something that you spent years looking at. Yes. Uh, previously, before I got to um, the University of Gibraltar, I was working 
uh, at the Wellman Center for Photomedicine, which is a principal thematic center at the Massachusetts General Hospital and Harvard Medical School, where we were trying to exploit the use of light to treat infectious diseases. So Very interesting. I've, yeah, so I've, I've worked a lot in this area, and I really, uh, at least even from an, a laboratory point of view, I, I, I've seen it happen. You know, bacteria, they're growing, they're susceptible to antibiotics. You give them a few passages um, under the influence or the exposure to an antibiotic, and then they are no longer susceptible. And, you know, this can happen really, really quickly. And the most important thing to understand about antibiotic resistance or antimicrobial resistance is that um, it isn't just the fact that the, you know, the organism can no longer be killed or inhibited by this particular um, drug or whatever. It's actually more complicated than that. So whenever you treat any, any, any kind of disease, there is always something called a therapeutic window. So that is the concentration of a drug that may be safely taken. So, for example, you can't just give a patient an enormous amount of a medication because it can have de deleterious effects on their health. So, for example, when we're talking about antibiotic resistance, what we are saying is that the concentration necessary to inhibit or destroy the organism exceeds what would be safely administered. That's what we're talking about. And that's why we have all these benchmarks for antibiotic resistance. Okay, so, so if I can, Dr. Leons, uh, let's, let's take it back. For somebody who doesn't know you, because I think this is the first interview that we are doing as GBC um, with you. you. You are clearly known to uh, a lot of people in our community because uh, there was interest even ahead of you talking um, uh, about your interview. Um, but um, tell us a little bit about your background. Schooled in Gibraltar? And then you went to, to London to study um, what? Yeah, so I went to London um, um, uh, to do my, all my degrees. I, I started off at the University of Westminster, where I undertook a degree in biomedical sciences that was accredited by the Institute of Biomedical Scientists. I then went on to do a master's degree in medical microbiology from the world-renowned London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And that's where my interest in microbiological research began. So I was very fortunate to have achieved a place at Imperial College London, where I undertook a PhD in molecular microbiology. So um, following that in 2017, which is when I completed my PhD, I was very lucky to have been selected out of 300 applicants to the Wellman Center for Photomedicine, Harvard Medical School. So I was very chuffed to have been able to, 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 to get you've that. Able, you've been able to study uh, these topics at, um, at a few of the leading world universities um, in academic research, generally speaking. Exactly, yes. I mean, for example, if we take the Wellman Center for Photomedicine, a lot of the advances that have been made using light and lasers are very well known and, and very well globally utilized. So, for example, um, the Wellman Center for Photomedicine invented things like laser hair removal you know, and tattoo removal. The very first tattoo removal occurred at the Wellman Center for Photomedicine. They ran the clinical trials for suntan lotion. These kinds of dermatological advances were pioneered by the center. In fact, they also invented a multitude of, of microscopy techniques, such as con a, a specific type of confocal microscopy. So, I mean, they, they are the what you want to achieve when you are doing research. They 
allow for the translational aspect of what we are doing. It's not just sitting in a lab and doing experiments. They are taking this to patients. They are taking this to the clinic. So tell us a little bit about what it's like to, to learn and, and research uh, at Harvard at Boston, which, um, you know, are, are world-renowned for, for sort of being cutting-edge when it comes to technology research. Yeah, it was it was a wonderful experience. I was very privileged to have had the opportunity to work under my mentor, Dr. Tian Hong Dai. He showed a lot of commitment to my to furthering my career and always encouraged me to seek my own path and not just stick to what we were doing in the lab. Um, in other words, like if I had a specific um, academic interest, he always encouraged me to to pursue that. So this is really where I learned on how to how to be an independent researcher and independent scientist. So I'm very grateful to them for that. And of course, that's um, essential when you're looking to um, break down barriers and 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 make scientific discoveries you really do have to think outside the box pursue your curiosity and 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 look at those questions which interest you that's absolutely true i mean without thinking outside the box without pursuing what has not yet been pursued we don't get discovery we don't get any innovation so i really do credit the innovations i've had on my mentor being so free thinking and so encouraging so i do appreciate that i know one one would would not imagine that in such a huge place like like the us um and you know harvard medical school that we would find mentors that are so um encouraging like this and um your research has uh, led you to publish scientific papers that's uh, sort of, of course, uh, I think if you are working in scientific research, it's something that you should aim to do. And, and, and you're, you're, you're doing that. You've published, what, 21 peer-reviewed scientific papers? Uh, actually, I've published 24 at the moment, three this year. And uh, I typically publish around five or six every year. Um, of my papers, uh, 11 of them are first author. So I wrote them and I pursued the research mostly or independently. And I'm, so so you, you led that research? Yeah, I mean, typically the, the senior author, which would, would have been my mentor, he, you know, this is the last author, this would be the one who sort of drives it forward. Um, but typically the more junior, sort of the early career, which, which is what I was when I entered uh, Harvard Medical School as a postdoctoral fellow. Um, now um, I'm able, I'm actually about to submit my uh, first research paper as a, as a senior author um, in conjunction with, with my previous lab, which is very exciting. Okay, so um, uh, that brings us, or gives us a picture, if you like, of, of your background, uh, your academic background. Um, tell us a little bit about your association with the University of Gibraltar, because you've come full circle, as it were, and now you're bringing your expertise back to the learning institutions that originally helped you to learn. Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm very excited to, to be a part of the University of Gibraltar, Ever since I, I heard that it had been established in 2015, I've, I've been very keen to see it grow. As a proud Gibraltarian, there's nothing more than I can ask for than having an institution that pursues knowledge and pursues education. So being a part of that is, is, is truly um, humbling. Okay, and you're, you're, you've organized uh, an event which will bring um, researchers from across the world, China, America... UK, you're going to bring them together virtually. Um, 
how better to do things nowadays and, and uh, sort of uh, keep things effective. Um, you're going to do that next week. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, why you have driven that project. So um, as a scientist, you know, um, it's very easy to think about, you know, the work that you're doing as, as, as being pertinent only to yourself and those in your field. But the, what I'm working on and what my colleagues and my peers and, and my collaborators are working on are trying to actually solve the problems like antimicrobial resistance and all these various various aspects that are akin to that. So this is not just a scientist's problem. This is a, person, a general population problem. You know, you're going to go to your doctor's surgery hopefully not for anything too serious, you're going to have an infection at some point in your life and you're going to expect a treatment. So eventually, you know, if we do not solve this problem, it's going to be tremendously difficult to sort, to treat. So, for example, something that, uh, you know, happens very frequently now, it's always coming on the news, people getting infections that are completely and utterly untreatable. And that's superbugs. Superbugs, exactly. They, they can harbour multiple mechanisms of resistance to multiple antibiotics. And what's very interesting about the conference, the symposium that, that, that we have organised, is that it takes into account both diagnostics and therapeutics. And these actually go both hand in hand. The reason being is that when we consider uh, the, the, the right treatment, we need to know what it is that's causing that particular infection. First of all, is it bacterial? Is it viral? Is it, is it fungal? Whatever it may be, because they all have their highly specific therapeutics. And even more so, different bacteria require different antibiotics. So uh, an antibiotic for MRSA or methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus will not, for example, methicillin, which does no longer works, or vancomycin is another one that would use for this this wouldn't work on another bacterium like pseudomonas aeruginosa so if you have a pseudomonas infection and you treat it with vancomycin it's just not going to work yeah and 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 to sort of uh simplify that uh, the, the 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 long story short is that if we don't have effective uh, antibacteria and antimicrobial drugs more, more generally uh, then uh, things that at the moment we're taking for granted such as elective surgery, uh, C-sections they will become d difficult or, 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 or uh, to, to put it mildly at very risky. Exactly I mean so, so you know like if, if you also if, if you're talking about like from the diagnostic point of view um, typically it can take up to three days to get a positive culture for like a bacterium. So normally what a clinician would do is they would prescribe a broad spectrum antimicrobial, which is fine, which makes sense. But the problem with that is um, it can uh, sort of generate resistance um, in, in bacteria if they're, not, if they're not necessary. So it's really important that we find ways to make the diagnosis more rapid. So for example, at the conference, at the symposium that we are doing, they are actually having methods that diagnose bacteria or viruses or whatever in several hours as opposed to several days. Everybody will need an antibiotic at some time in their life and we don't want it to get to a point when you really need the antibiotic and it just doesn't work. I mean, there are many people who have gone to the doctor, got an antibiotic, hasn't solved the problem and then they've needed to be given another antibiotic and another antibiotic. So we don't want that because, number one, it's not good for your health to be exposed and it's not good for your natural bacteria that you have in your, in your gut and your skin. But at the same time, it's also not good for the economic 
um, you know, from an economic point of view as well. So that's also another reason to, to be considerate. We've had a question from Stephen. Thank you for getting in touch. Stephen asks, um, have we been receiving antibiotics via the food chain, um, via meats and poultry, uh, because cattle and, and chickens are, are given antiviral and antibiotic drugs? Yeah, so in, in the past what they did was they did um, apply antibiotics to their cattle, to their uh, sort of food products as a way to mitigate infection because a lot of a lot of animals actually do get infected and then they end up dying and lose and then they end up losing productivity so yes they have done that and that is an important driver for antibiotic resistance absolutely because one thing that bacteria can do is that they can communicate with each other so imagine if you have the natural bacteria that are in the in the animals that are exposed they can actually transfer their resistance to your bacteria and then your bacteria can transfer resistance to an invading bacteria and it becomes a cycle of, of, of problems, really. So, yes, that is an important point. And I know very frequently they they actually um, say, you know, this meat has not been treated with antibiotics. So it's important to consider. So that. if that's something that somebody is concerned about, they, they should look at the labelling on their food. Um, and and what about... Uh, so, so, I mean, it's really interesting what you've, what you've mentioned there, that in the same way as we learn... Uh, um, how to um, create drugs which are, um, can save lives, as in the case of antibiotics and antiviral drugs. Um, th- the actual bacteria and viruses that those drugs are targeting, they also learn. Uh, and it's a, it's a sort of a, there's a tension between you know, sort, of sort of keeping those drugs effective and, and, and the actual uh, things that they're targeting, the germs, not becoming too effective themselves. Yeah, that's actually very interesting because the way that antimicrobial resistance is transferred is, is is through multiple levels. So if you overexpose a bacterium to an antibiotic, it sort of evolves to become resistant because the target which the antibiotic binds to can no longer bind because it's mutated and changed. So it's actually a physical problem that is encoded genetically, as it were. But at the same time, if you have a bacterium that has a resistance mechanism, a different one, let's imagine an efflux system, which can actually eject the antibiotic out of the bacterium, it can what we call horizontally transfer, which means um, one bacteria can take that genetic material and transfer it to another bacterium, then that bacterium has it, even if it's never been exposed to an antibiotic. That's very interesting. Um, We've got a a, a comment by Karen. I don't know if it's for you, Dr. Leons, but I'll read it and then we can move on if you don't think it's something that you want to talk about. But uh, Karen thinks that it's not just that people go to their doctors too quickly to ask for uh, antibiotics because they think that it's sort of a um, uh, one-size-fits-all remedy to whatever it is, that uh, whatever ailments they have. But um, Karen thinks that um, doctors are generally too quick to prescribe antibiotics as well. I don't know if that's something that, that you want to comment on at all. That's a really interesting point. So one thing I've noticed since being in Gibraltar is they're actually quite good at, at saying no to antibiotics and not, not, not being the very first kind of thing that they do. That's something I've noticed here. But what, 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 uh, what Karen is saying is, is absolutely true. Um, there was a study that was done, I think it was in Canada, that found that the clinicians that prescribed antibiotics got better ratings from patients. So I think it's possible for some, not for all, they might, it might be a psychological 
kind of um, reliance on the antibiotic because, you know, the idea that, you know, if it is an infection caused by a bacterium, you can give the, the specific antibiotic for that particular ailment. And, you know, if it works great and if it goes away on its own, it's also fine. Okay, we've got a little uh, jingle that has been playing on the radio airwaves in, in recent months. Antibiotics, we're wonderful pills, but don't ever think we'll cure all of your ills. So, so if that um, is something that you've heard before, this is the reason why you've heard it, because the health authority has wanted to raise awareness about how we use antibiotics and to try and uh, help the public to play its part and not over-request them uh, from the health authority. Uh, the next question is mine, Dr. Leons, and um, uh, I had a look at the research that you're carrying out um, in preparing for this interview, uh, and I noticed that you're actually, part of your research is focusing on trying to make antibiotics work better, um, rather than sort of uh, look at the uh, policy and, and, and prescription and how we use them, you're trying to make the actual drugs themselves more effective. Yes, that's that's completely true. So, um, what the work that I've been that I've been doing while I was at at the Wellman Center for Photomedicine is using light as an alternative to antibiotics. So, one thing that light can do that it, that is not actually very well known is that it has the ability to actually kill bacteria um, and other kinds of microbes like like uh, fungi and and even viruses, depending on the on the wavelength of the light. But something that we that I particularly have been focusing on is combining light with other drugs so for example what we discovered when we were in the in the lab was that if you were to apply light to bacteria you can actually reduce the concentration of an antibiotic necessary to kill or inhibit that bacteria so in other words you're increasing the bacterial susceptibility and thus reducing the resistance. So if we could apply this clinically, it could be that we could increase the longevity of antibiotic um, application. So is that going to be one of the things that you talk about next week when you uh, pull, uh, you know, scientific minds together to focus on this? So my talk is actually going to be more general. I, I'm going to talk about antimicrobial resistance. I'm going to discuss the mechanisms. I'm going to understand, uh, let, let the population understand why this is happening in more detail. And then I'm also going to look at what is being currently researched in the scientific community to try and, and, and circumvent uh, this issue. Okay, and um, we've had uh, Tony get in touch just to, to say that uh, he is uh, himself allergic to penicillin and um, and he says, very thankfully, very rarely do I need to visit a doctor. Um, so, so, I mean, the, the more general point is that penicillin and drugs like it have been saving lives since the 1940s and, um, and, and we want those drugs to continue to be successful um, and, and we want to um, find ways to ensure that they remain successful because if I'm not mistaken it, it, it can take what up to 10 years I don't know if this is still accurate because I know that COVID accelerated um, you know the, the time that it takes from f to research 
for example, a vaccine and, and, and the time it takes to then get it to, uh, to, to be uh, used widespread. Um, but I think it was taking, uh, in 2019, it was taking 10 years to develop um, uh, a new antibiotic drug. Is that more or less correct? It can take a long time, no? Well, actually, that's a very good point. I mean, the last antibiotic was developed in 1987. So 35 years, the, the well has been dry. So that tells you, you know, it's really not an easy thing to invent an antibiotic or to even discover an antibiotic because that's often very much serendipitous. So, yeah, I mean, antibiotic development is not an easy thing and should not be taken for granted. Okay. um, Tell us about how you've gone about... um, You're not just speaking at next week's event. You're you're, uh, the chair, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which means that you've played a significant role in pulling together the people who are going to contribute to it. Uh, How did you you go about selecting uh, the speakers? Well, I thought about the the pertinent topic. So, for example, I wanted to segregate the conference or the symposium rather into two days. The first day is about new rapid diagnostic techniques in order to get your diagnosis faster and get the right treatment faster. And then the second day is all about new treatments or new approaches to treatment. So I selected my, my, um, my speakers based on those specific um, aspects. So, for example... Um, some of them I know, I, I collaborate with, I know their research very well, so I thought they'd make good good people to, to kind of um, uh, contribute to the symposium. And others I, I invited based on their reputation. So, for example, there's a, a Professor Robert Schooley, who's a, who's a professor in the US, who, who is an expert on, on bacteriophage therapy. This is using specialized viruses to kill bacteria. Um, so I thought that would be very interesting. And then I've got another uh, Professor Van Hook, who, who is at George Mason University in the US, who is using genetic alteration to induce bacterial suicide, uh, you know, because bacteria have very specialized... What is bacterial suicide? <laughs> so bacteria, they produce this uh, thing called toxin-antitoxin systems. So essentially, they always work in a balance. So you get toxins produced and antitoxins produced. So what, what, what her group is doing is suppressing the antitoxin. So it's just producing the toxin and killing the bacteria. So it's a very smart way to, to actually uh, kill off a bacterium. Um, okay, great. So you've got you've got um, people with different expertises and approaches um, to this big question of you know are we using antibiotics too much and, and what should we do about that uh, to make sure that they remain effective? Uh, you, you you've managed to bring everybody together for a day next Wednesday. Monday, Monday and Tuesday. Oh, sorry, Monday and Tuesday. And uh, and uh, th- it's something that uh, you, you know you're hoping will encourage uh, uh, people to to learn from each other's research. And um, uh, what are you? What are these sort of main outcomes that you'd like to see uh, from Monday and Tuesday's event? Well, I, I, the thing that I really would like is obviously I would really like uh, Gibraltar as a, as a country to have visibility to to sort of um, other exogenous countries. But I also really want to instill um, in the population of Gibraltar and, and abroad the importance, and, and not just the importance of, of antimicrobial resistance, but the lengths we are going to try and solve this problem. I mean, that's what it's all about. Getting better diagnostic methods out there quickly, as fast as we can, and also new treatments out there so that when we go to the doctor and we have an infection, they will have something to give us. That's the point of, of it, I would say. Of course. Okay, so it's 
the University of Gibraltar, uh, and it's called the International Symposium on Infectious Diseases. It's happening on the 22nd and 23rd, Monday and Tuesday. And um, we look forward to, to hearing more uh, about the outcomes of the conversations that you have. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Leon Leons. Uh, before we let you go, uh, if there's a young person listening uh, uh, who is perhaps interested in um, science, why should they be excited about um, the possibility of having a career in science? Well, as someone who has been passionate about science since since as long as I can remember, it, it's just the it's the mystery. It's unlocking mysteries. It's it's solving problems. You know, we have the the nuts and bolts of it, as it were. You know how the mechanics work, how everything is working. But there's also the the when when you're able, like for example, in my field where it's all about treating infectious diseases, it's actually about trying to come close. To, to solving a serious problem. So, for example, one thing that I'm passionate about and something I really want to do is I want to get my therapeutics to patients, something that's not easy to do, but something that I will continue to pursue as, as long as I can. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking to you, Dr. Leon Leons, who's organised uh, the... International Symposium of Infectious on Infectious Diseases uh, next week at the University of Gibraltar. We hope it goes really well for you and for everybody attending. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts. Local voices on demand.